Hello everyone and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete podcast. I'm your host, Simon Skidmore. In the last episode, we considered Moses' rivalry with Pharaoh. As we saw, Pharaoh and Moses imitate one another's desire to rule over the people of Israel. These two doubles exchange reciprocal blows with one another and mutual hatred and admiration grows between them. The first sign Moses performs is turning the river Nile to blood. Recall that in chapter 1, Pharaoh commanded that all the Israelite male babies were to be drowned in the river Nile. Now we see the ecological harm caused by this bloodshed as the Nile River is polluted and poisoned. All the fish die and the land loses its fertility. Through this imagery, the text describes the destructive effects of mimetic violence. As we read on, we'll see these effects multiplied as the land of Egypt is ruined. Let's pick up the story now in Exodus chapter 8, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people, and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall dwell there. But you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings, abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, they will stone us. We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Egypt, from his servants and from his people, tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. 
So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. You may notice a similar pattern here to that portrayed in the first two signs. In response to the plague of gnats, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, just as it was in response to the river Nile's destruction. Just like the plague of frogs, the plague of flies causes Pharaoh to buckle somewhat. Yet, once the flies are gone, Pharaoh hardens his heart again. These two plagues represent a continued attack upon Pharaoh and maybe even the gods of Egypt. The gnats come from the land, which was the realm of Gabe, who allowed the crops to grow. The flying insects may call to mind the Egyptian god of renewal, Kefri, who is depicted with the head of a dung beetle. Notice also that we're beginning to see a division drawn between the Israelite people who dwell in Goshen and the rest of Egypt. The plague of flies, or perhaps dung beetles, affects Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but not the Israelites. As we continue studying the narrative, we shall see that these signs continue to distinguish the people of Israel from the rest of Egypt. The more we study these texts from a mimetic perspective, the more I wonder whether these signs represent a victory over the Egyptian gods as it is commonly portrayed. Far from being destroyed, the Egyptian gods seem to play a different role in response to Pharaoh's violence. The frogs and flies multiply and the dust of the land gives birth to gnats, which annoys Pharaoh. The Egyptian gods seem very much active in this mimetic conflict. They are not silenced, they are not defeated, but they seem to be siding with Moses against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Remember, Pharaoh has forsaken his Egyptian gods to engage in mimetic rivalry with Moses, who becomes like a god to him. In response to Pharaoh's neglect, the Egyptian gods visit their wrath upon him. From a mimetic perspective, the gods of Egypt are imitating Pharaoh's violent actions back upon his own head. In this story, Pharaoh becomes the scapegoat, as Moses, the Lord, and the Egyptian gods, and now even Pharaoh's magicians, begin to band together against him. Pharaoh's magicians warn him that this is the finger of God. In other words, the Lord, the God of mimetic violence, is uniting the Egyptian gods of Egypt against Pharaoh. This observation is important for the Israelites, who regard Pharaoh and his Egyptian pantheon as simply unbeatable. With the Egyptian gods turning against Pharaoh, the Israelites may be inspired also to imitate their example and band together against Pharaoh. In this way, Pharaoh becomes the communal scapegoat and Moses lives to fight another day. Reading on now from chapter 9 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a heavy, severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. 
but the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. In response to the next two plagues, Pharaoh's heart is again hardened as his rivalry with Moses intensified. The death of Egyptian livestock calls to mind the Egyptian god Hathor, who is depicted with the head of a cow. Hathor was also regarded as Pharaoh's symbolic mother. She is also associated with love, sex, motherhood and joy. The second sign of boils enters the realm of Isis, the Egyptian goddess of health and healing, who is also considered a spiritual mother to Pharaoh. Things are really getting serious now. Even Pharaoh's symbolic mothers imitate the other god's example and begin to persecute him also. Yet far from discouraging him, his mother's persecution only fuels Pharaoh's desire to engage in rivalry with Moses. Notice that in the end of the passage, we are told that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. There is some debate over this hardening of Pharaoh's heart and who is responsible for it. Let's take a moment to consider this idea from a mimetic perspective. For those who have been paying attention, we were told early on in the narrative that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. We're not told who is responsible, but we noted that this hardening occurs as Pharaoh imitates Moses' desire to lead and rule over the Israelite people. Then, in response to the plague of flies, we are told that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, suggesting that Pharaoh is the agent responsible, at least on this one occasion. Now, in response to the plague of boils, we are told that the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. How do we reconcile these statements? Who is hardening Pharaoh's heart? Is it the Lord? Is it himself? Well, from a mimetic perspective, both the Lord and Pharaoh are responsible for his stubborn refusal to let the Israelite people go. The whole process begins with Pharaoh imitating Moses' desire for the Israelite people. As a rivalry between these doubles grows and the land of Egypt suffers, Pharaoh faces a choice. Does he continue to fight over the common desired object or does he seek respite by emancipating the people? 
At times, Pharaoh lets go, only later to renege and re-engage in rivalry with Moses. On these occasions, it could be said that Pharaoh hardens his own heart as he consciously chooses to re-enter the conflict. But as the rivalry spirals out of control, we are told that the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart in response to the plague of boils. In other words, Pharaoh has become possessed by the Lord of mimetic rivalry who inspires him to exchange reciprocal blows with Moses regardless of the cost. In this way, I think the Exodus narrative does an excellent job of portraying the mimetic hardening of Pharaoh's heart as it describes the seductive call of mimetic rivalry. Pharaoh's conscious decision to continue engaging in the conflict with his double, and finally his insanity as Pharaoh becomes utterly consumed with mimetic rivalry. Reading on now from chapter 9 verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put my own hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy rain to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into their houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and on every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Then hail struck down everything that was in the field and in all the land of Egypt both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and my people and I are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. 
the flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emna were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city of Pharaoh and stretched out his hands towards the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured down upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. The Lord tells Pharaoh that he elevated him to his current position as king over Egypt to demonstrate his power. You may recall that towards the end of Genesis, the Lord preserves and empowers Joseph to become a governor in the land of Egypt, to enslave the entire land and the Egyptians to Pharaoh, making him rich and powerful. Now in Exodus, the Lord reveals that he himself made Pharaoh's rise to power possible. You see, the Lord filled Joseph with mimetic desire for political power, which inspired him to enslave the entire land of Egypt. In this way, the Lord manipulates Joseph's rivalry to elevate Pharaoh to his exalted position. But Pharaoh's days are numbered. In Exodus, the land again employs mimetic rivalry, but this time to orchestrate Pharaoh's demise. The Lord states that he could have Pharaoh destroyed with a plague, but chose rather to display his power by engaging rivalry with Pharaoh. In other words, it's not just about liberating Israel. The Lord is imitating Pharaoh's desire for power. Because Pharaoh has exalted himself against the people of Israel, the Lord will now imitate Pharaoh's exaltation to show his power that his name might be proclaimed throughout all the land. From a mimetic perspective, this statement portrays a full-blown rivalry between mimetic doubles. All that exists now is the conflict between Pharaoh and Moses, while the desired object which originally inspired the rivalry fades from view. In response to the storm plague, Pharaoh repents, but only momentarily. Once the storm ceases, Pharaoh then reneges, and his heart is hardened one more time as he chooses to re-engage Moses in mimetic rivalry. Reading on now from chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and your grandsons how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat 
every tree of yours that grows in the field and they shall have your houses and the houses of all your servants of all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on the land to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will you let this man be a snare to us? Let the people go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand? Egypt is ruined. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you, if I ever let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before, nor will ever be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned before the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, forgive my sin, please. Let only this once and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a strong east wind, which lifted up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, that there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have our sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to them, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, 
as you say, I will not see your face again. The eighth and ninth plagues follow a similar pattern. Pharaoh momentarily relents, but then his heart is hardened and he refuses to let the people go. Notice also that Pharaoh is buckling a little more here. Pharaoh is willing to let the people go, just the men, and then he's willing to let the men and the children go, but not the livestock. You see, Pharaoh is still trying to hold on. He's still trying to engage in the conflict without being totally overwhelmed. Meanwhile, Pharaoh's servants are becoming frustrated with his stubbornness. You see, Pharaoh is blinded by his rivalry with Moses, while all of Egypt is crumbling around him. From a mimetic perspective, it's also interesting that the people want to sacrifice livestock to the Lord. Mimetic theorists argue that sacrifice is a means of keeping peace and order within the community by managing mimetic rivalry. Recall also that Pharaoh has forsaken the gods of Egypt to engage in a bitter rivalry with Moses. It seems significant that Pharaoh has abandoned his practice of sacrifice and is now also forbidding the Israelites from sacrificing to the Lord. Without the release valve of ritual sacrifice, mimetic rivalry is allowed to spiral out of control, culminating in a mimetic crisis. The blindness and confusion of this crisis is aptly portrayed by the locusts bringing darkness upon all the land of Egypt. Egypt must find a scapegoat upon whom they can vent their collective rivalry to bring an end to the mimetic crisis. Otherwise, the nation will self-destruct because of the excessive mimetic violence within. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.